This week, as I opened up my Bible to prepare for preaching, I was confronted by a scripture that made me realize that there is a place that I am continually disobedient to God. And I think that as we continue going through our passage this morning, as we look at the book of Ecclesiastes, you're going to find that it's an area that you're probably guilty of disobedience to God in as well. Today, as we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and the beginning of chapter 12, we're going to see that we are commanded as God's people to do something. And the command is very simple. It's remember your creator and enjoy the life he's given you. That's it. Remember your creator and enjoy the life that he's given you. As you think back over today or this past week, the past month, maybe the last little season of life, how often have you remembered God who created you and how much of your life, your day, your time are you enjoying? Maybe the best way to find that out is to just consider your thoughts and actions and words over the last number of days. How often have you spent complaining, whether to someone else or to yourself, about the situation our world finds itself in? How many times have you questioned and wrestled with whether things should return to normal and whether it's right or fair or good that things will be different? Have you sat and found yourself grumbling about the situation that your kids are growing up in? Today, as we examine these verses, we are going to come to have to wrestle with the fact that there is a command in Scripture which is difficult. It's a simple thing to say. Remember your Creator and enjoy the life He's given you. But it's very different to live that out day to day, especially in the world that we live in. But today we find this truth that the teacher is bringing us to. We're, we're right at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to finish up next week in our journey through this book. But today as we look at it, what we see is the summary from the teacher. These are sort of the words that he gives to wrap up everything that he's been teaching. Over the last 11 chapters, we've seen that the teacher identifies a number of places in life that things are an enigma. We use the word in English that it's meaningless, or there's the, the Hebrew word hevel. And so we have these different words that basically wrap up life as being an enigma. It's those things that you think in life are answers, but when you go to grab onto them, to hold onto them as truth, you find out that it's just vapor and there's nothing there to grab. You find yourself constantly chasing after the wind. And we know that by experience that there are those things in life and that those things are true, but that leaves us often with wondering, well, then what do we do with everything we don't know? How do we live in light of the world that we live in? And here the teacher says, well, what you're called to do is to remember your creator and to enjoy the life he's given to you, even though the, there are these enigmas in our lives. So let's take a look at how the teacher says this, what the teacher says about this, and what we can learn from it. But let's begin by reading Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 7, through to chapter 12, verse 8. 
He writes this, Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. But let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. You who are young, be happy while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So then, banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. When the keeper of the house trembles and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the window grow dim. When the doors to the street are closed and the sound of the grinding fades and when people rise up at the sound of birds but all their songs grow faint. When the people are afraid of heights and of the dangers in the street, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred, then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. While that's a heavy finish to the passage today, it starts with this beautiful picture in chapter 11, verses 7 and 8. It it starts with this call to enjoy and rejoice in light. The teacher says, light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. When I think about an enjoyable day. I do think about the sun and the light. I I picture being at the beach with my girls and some of my fondest memories of a vacation with them were were at the beach in in southern Oregon and just enjoying the sun in the sky and and the beautiful uh, surroundings and my family. And I think of the the warmth that was there and, and the enjoyment that there was to live in life. And the teacher tells us that there are so much to be thankful for and our days will be long and we should enjoy every single one of them. There's a command here right in the text to enjoy the pleasures of life. And there's so many places to find joy, isn't there? Whether it is the sun in the sky, the the warmth on our face, or maybe you go for a bike ride and you feel the wind through your hair, or it's the smell of a fresh cup of coffee, or maybe it's the warmth and flicker of the campfire that you experienced as you looked out at the twinkling of stars when you were camping this summer. Maybe it's just hearing that sweet sound of children laughing. There's just so many pleasures in life to enjoy and life is good and we are called to experience it and celebrate it and the wonderful thing when you think about it is the longer that we get to live 
the more of those joys we get to experience. But some of us would say there's a problem, that life isn't all joy, it isn't all pleasure, and the teacher doesn't try to skirt around that. He doesn't try to kind of blow smoke to us and and try to distort reality. In verse 8, we see the teacher says, But let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many, and everything to come is meaningless. Now, it can sound then that the teacher might be a little bit confused. He says, enjoy life, but remember that there are dark days. But this isn't to be confusing for us. If anything, we're the ones who are confused if we wrestle with that. We should live our lives in such a way that we, that we allow darkness not to be the thing that reigns supreme. But that's not what happened, is it? Most of us, our, our, our good days, our, our happy days, the days we celebrate are so fragile. All it takes is your car to break down or someone in your family to have a fight with you. Maybe it's going looking for something to only find out that it's missing or broken. These small things are able to sort of dash the pleasure in life for us. And that's only the small things. There's much bigger things that are weighty and are harmful that can really seem like darkness looming over us. And the teacher, he doesn't ignore that. He does acknowledge that there are dark days to come. But the teacher wants to give us a truth here that there is light even though that darkness exists. We nevertheless should enjoy light even when darkness surrounds us. There's a song we used to sing in Sunday school when I was growing up called This is the Day. It goes, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. I will rejoice, I will rejoice and be glad in it. And those song lyrics are pulled directly from Psalm chapter 118, verse 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And looking back on that psalm and and thinking of that song and reflecting on what the teacher is teaching us here is there's this understanding that even when darkness comes, there is light because it is a day that the Lord has made and the God the creator of the universe has put good things in to the darkest of days. And so there is a reason for us to celebrate. Darkness never reigns supreme in any day, in any situation. God is always at work. And the rest of the chapter, it expands on this enjoyment of life. In verses 9 and 10, we read this. You who are young, be happy while you are young. And let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever you, your eyes see, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. So then banish anxiety from your heart. Cast off all the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. There's a call here that is for those of us who are younger. It's easy to think that this is a message for older people because uh, as we see and we'll come to in a moment, there's a lot about our, our twilight years of life and looking towards death. But this is a message for those of us who are young as well to understand that we ought to enjoy life, but we ought to enjoy life in a certain way with a view that God is our creator and that he is in control. 
When we are young, our life is so easy to enjoy. We have strength, we have energy, we have so much to look forward to in the future. And that should just be exciting and it should get us motivated to celebrate life. But for many of us, there are things that kind of rob us of that joy. One of the things that can rob us of that joy is living our life Uh, of giving in to the temptations that take us away from what God desires for us. And the second thing we can do is we can allow anxiety to reign supreme in our lives. In verse 9, we see that we're called to follow the ways of our heart, but at the same time, we're supposed to know that for every action, there's this possibility of judgment. Now, that can seem really heavy-handed and harsh to us on the surface. We might say, well, it just seems like the Bible is just laying on the rules and being a killjoy and ruining our view of life. But it's not to sound threatening, but instead it's for the teacher to remind us to have a call to live for God, to experience what he would have for us because he has given us things to enjoy, but there is a good and responsible way to enjoy them. The truly good things in life are gifts from God. But we're supposed to enjoy those things and not the others. As Christians, I think it's especially important to remember that with judgment comes this view of our life in light of what Jesus Christ did. And we have to remember that our life was bought at a a price, and that price was that Jesus went to the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And so as followers of Jesus, as we enjoy life, we ought to do so with that in view and in mind, that we enjoy life remembering that one day there is judgment. But we also remember with that comes the sacrifice of Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22 says, Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. That is what we are to do as we enjoy the days of our lives. And that all sounds well and good for some of us, but for others, we deal with a great anxiety in life. I think anxiety plagues younger generations than it ever has before just because of all the open doors and options that lay before us. And I think that has led us to this place where it can seem like there's so much before us and there's so much excitement, but there's also so much failure and wrong paths that we can take. And there's just other things that can, can wear down at us and create this turmoil within our lives. We, we get plagued with this anxiety. And... I don't have to list all those things for you to wrestle with that idea in your life. But when we think about that anxiety, though none of us want it, we do allow it to be something that controls our life. But here we are told that we are called to banish anxiety as a part of enjoying the life that God has given us. Now that seems easier said than done, and of course there is all sorts of mental health stuff that needs to be addressed, but too often, too common, it is for us to not wrestle with the spiritual implications of anxiety. And so fortunately, Scripture does give us something to to work with, some way to move forward. In Philippians chapter 4, we read, Do not be anxious about anything. 
But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. There's a promise that comes after that. It says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, the command to banish our anxiety can, can seem so overwhelming because the anxieties that we face are so significant. There's an underlying message that the teacher is trying to give us. And that message is that there is a God who is in control. We can trust and enjoy life because God is involved. He wants to be a part of our life. If you remember back to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we read that the teacher tells us that God has made everything beautiful in its own time, in his timing. And God is in control. He really is all-powerful. And so those things that we allow to, to tur- turn up in us and to, to cause us anxiety need to be things that we turn over to God to allow him to take care of. The things that are too scary to face, the things that make our life seem like it's coming on a road towards a mountain that's too high to climb. We are encouraged through scripture in those moments as that anxiety wells up to acknowledge God, to thank him for who he is and what he is doing, and to follow him through in those places which is ultimately what brings us to this next command in chapter 12, verse 1, where we read, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. From here to the end of chapter 8, we see that the teacher paints this picture of the twilight years of life and ultimately of the grave. He reminds us once again of death and the framework that that should give us as we look towards eternity, where he mentions that our bodies go to the ground, but our souls return to the God who made them. But there's a reminder there. Before that death comes for us, before we get to a place where we are completely fallen apart, while we are young and strong, we are called to remember God. Let us celebrate him and the things that he has made and the way he has created the world now before all these things happen later. Charles Bridges once wrote, Many have remembered too late, none too soon. Let us remember God now in this moment before anything else could possibly happen. As we are called to think about these aging years, as we're called to think about the grave, we are called to remember God. And we're not just called to remember a God who created the world, but a God who is active in a world, and a God who has a future. We see this element of our our soul, our spirit returning to God, and we know through Scripture that God is active in our world today. And, And so we should know that this Creator God isn't a God who created the world and abandoned it, but He sustains it and He puts pleasure into it so that we ultimately can experience that, enjoy it, but then He has a plan for our future. Our God is the God who created a way for us to spend an eternity with him, even though we have sinned, even though we have rebelled against him, even though we deserve death. He made a way for us through his son, Jesus. 
Through Jesus' death and resurrection, we can experience victory over that. And so we remember that. We are drawn to that. We celebrate that and what it means for our life. It means not just salvation, but eternal security. One of the promises Jesus gave is found in John chapter 6, verse 39 to 40, where he says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. Remember your creator. Enjoy the life that he has given to you. That is the command. So what do we do with it? How do we begin to implement that into our life? What should we be thinking about as we, we go from listening to these words today into this next week? Well, the first thing I would urge you to do if you want to enjoy life is to embrace your creator and your savior. There is nothing that reframes every day, even the worst of all days where, where everything's just going wrong. There is nothing that beats the fact of knowing and trusting in the fact that Jesus died for you, that he conquered the grave, that he has paved a way for you to experience life with him if you choose to follow him. There is nothing that surpasses the greatness of knowing how incredibly loved we are by the God who created us. There is nothing that will ever help you get through the worst day quite like that knowledge. You are one who was loved, who is bought at a price and who has an opportunity to live life and enjoy all the pleasures of not just this earth, but of heaven and the new earth that are to come. So don't waste your life on foolish pleasures or pointless misery. Instead, look to Jesus to reframe your worldview and enjoy what it means to remember your creator for who he is. The second thing that we need to do is work on banishing our anxiety now I know that our anxiety can have all sorts of stems and roots because of the broken world we live in. And if you need uh, help with your mental health, go get help from professionals. But also remember again, that there is a spiritual root to much of our anxiety. And that root needs to be broken by us turning and acknowledging who God is by recognizing the promises that he has given to provide for us, to love, us to care for us to give us each and everything we need if you look at matthew chapter 6 we see jesus give us these promises where he tells about how look at what what god has done for creation and and know your value he will if he provides for the rest of creation he will provide for you because he loves you so much more than all the rest Allow that to be what banishes your anxiety, knowing and trusting in the God who is the creator and sustainer of the universe, the God who is sovereign over all, who will take every situation and make it beautiful in its own time. Trust in him. Go to him with thanksgiving, with prayer. Bring it all before him and allow him to bring you the peace that you need in your heart and mind. 
And finally, the thing I think we need to do is reframe all of our thinking so that we can stop being crusty Christians. Crusty Christians, we know them. They're these people who say, you know what, I love God with all my heart and life, and then they're miserable about everything. You know these people who, who proclaim to have the God who loves them, who, who makes a difference in their life, but they're bitter and they complain all the time and they're annoyed at everything on this side of heaven. Maybe you're a crusty Christian. Well, you need to begin to get that out of your life. Being a crusty Christian should be an oxymoron. We should be the most joy-filled people in the world because we do know our Creator. We have a relationship with Him. We get to understand what that means for our world and for our life. We get to look at the, the pleasures of our world for what they truly are as these magnificent gifts from a God who loves us that are just a small taste of what He has for us for eternity. We need to be filled up with great joy. And we need to live out the rejoicing that comes from that as an act of worshiping him. When we fail to remember God, to acknowledge him in the dark days, when we fail to enjoy the good things that he has put forward in front of us right in this moment, we fail to worship God. We go against this command that we find in Scripture. We miss the mark on what God wants for us and for us to do in response to him and who he is and what he has done. We need to understand that every day, every breath is a gift from God and we are so wonderfully loved and we get to experience more out of that and we get to rejoice in that and we get to share that with other people and we can no longer be bitter, jerk, crusty Christians. We should be filled with the joy of who God is and how we get there is by celebrating, by being thankful, by enjoying the things, by rejoicing, it tells us. What I would encourage you to do, some habit that I have been working on over the last year or so, and I've brought this up before on a Sunday, is, is to share that I, I have been working on creating gratitude lists. The things that I go to where I continually remember who God is and what he is doing. And I would encourage you that you need to do the same. I'm not perfect at it. It's not something I remember every day and it's something I need to continue working on. But I can tell you this, on the days where I choose to be grateful, on the days where I choose to remember God and enjoy the things he has given me, I have more joy. I have more to rejoice about and then I have more to celebrate God and remember him for. So start a list. Let me start it for you, in fact. I'm going to give you six things that you can start your list for. Six things that you can be thankful for today. The first is that God has created everything that is good that is in nature. Go outside. We live in one of the most beautiful places in the world. If, if I were to walk out these doors right now, I would see Mount Baker and the mountains and a big open sky. We can thank God that he has created all that for our pleasure, but also that it tells us of how great and awesome, how huge he is. We can thank God that you and I have life. 
We get to experience the life. We get to enjoy what he has created. God has given us, third, God has given us what we need for day-to-day living. That's incredible. He's given us a promise that his people will be provided for, that we will have maybe not everything we want, but everything that we need. That is so much to be thankful for. Number four, God has given us the people in our lives who we can appreciate. God has given us family and friends and people who help us to refine ourselves and become more like Jesus, the people who bring us joy, whose character fills our lives. Reason number five, God has given us his son for salvation. This is the biggest reason of all. God has given Jesus for our salvation, for his purposes, for his glory. So we should remember him. We should celebrate that because God has done a great work that brings him glory. And reason number six, we can take hold of the promise that God has given us eternal life if we choose to follow him. What an incredible thing. It means that no matter what situation we face, no matter what is going on in our life, no matter if something is going to even take us to the grave, there is a promise that we will experience eternal life with him. These are the things we need to grab hold of, whether we are young or we are old. We need to remember God and enjoy the life he has given us because he is so good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the goodness of who you are. God, I thank you that you are the God who is in control of everything. God, that you created everything, that our world, our universe is so finely tuned, it's so precise. God, it's not just that though, it's not just mechanical, it's beautiful, it's rich, it's, it's full of so many pleasures. God, we, we thank you that you have given that to us so we get to enjoy that. Lord God, we thank you, I thank you that we have life, that we have breath, that you have given us uh, a purpose in life. And God, more than that, I thank you for the fact that despite the fact that I am a wretched sinner, that, that, that we are people who fail you, we are people who disobey you, we are people who full on rebel against you, that despite all that, you love us and you call us into your family and that you sent your son to die so that we could have new life, that you breathe your Holy Spirit into us, that we can continue to know more about you, that we can continue to grow to be more like you, that we can have an assurance of our salvation for eternity. God, you are so good. And so I pray because of you being so good, out of response to that, would we be people who would remember you, who would rejoice in you, who would enjoy the life that you have given us so that you can receive all of the glory, honor, and praise that you deserve. God, I pray for everyone who is, might be listening to this message who does not know you. Lord God, would they come to understand the goodness that it is to be a follower of you? Would they understand what that can mean for their life, how that can can enrich their life? But more importantly, God, I pray that they would come to know you so you would get the glory that you deserve. Lord, we thank you for your word. 
and all that is found within it. And I pray today that it penetrates our hearts, that it changes us from the inside out. God, I pray this week and today that we will remember you and enjoy all that you have given us. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.